Eve August Falte. Welcome to A City Reading, Cork City Library's talking newsletter of library news and features. I'm Anne, and this episode is a special seasonal episode featuring a preview of A Carol's Christmas by Cork City Library's writer-in-residence Tina Pisco, Cork Christmas Memories by Michael Lenehan, Christmas Music on Freegal by Connor McHale, and we finish with a seasonal poem, Scarlet Evergreen by Ed Cashman. Your readers are myself, Anne, Claire, Michael and Ed. A Carol's Christmas by Tina Pisco. Many years ago, in the time before the before time, I was ready to jump from the short story to the novel, but did not have a clue how to go about it. I can't remember how I landed on the idea that writing a modern version of the Dickens classic A Christmas Carol was the launchpad I needed. I do remember that I felt those pesky problems of structure and pace would be easier to tackle if I followed Dickens' template. I was also inspired by reading that Dickens had written the novella in six weeks, motivated by financial necessity. My younger self was impatient to finish a longer work, and financial necessity seemed as good a reason to write as any higher calling. Dickens' A Christmas Carol was published in December 19, 1842, and sold out by Christmas Eve. It was reprinted 13 times by 1844. Well done, Mr Dickens. My version was not published for nearly 20 years. However, it did get me a publishing contract and my first agent. It became my calling card until I wrote my first full-length novel, Only a Paper Moon, Poolbeg. A Carol's Christmas finally found a home in my first collection of short stories, Sunrise, Sunset and Other Fictions, Fish, 2016. It was wonderfully fitting as Clem Carrens, the publisher, was the one who had encouraged me to write it all those years ago as we sat in his garden in Duras, overlooking the Atlantic. When we decided to include it in the collection, I dusted it off, rewrote bits, updated the technology, and slightly altered the ending to reflect my 21st century family. I changed very little. Though the years have passed, the things that were important to me then are still important to me now, though many, many things in my life are different. I hope you enjoy reading A Carol's Christmas, and wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A Carol's Christmas in Prose, Being a Ghost Story of Christmas, by Tina Pisco. Stave 1, Marla's Ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. There was no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. What a load of bull, thought Carol as she closed the book and put it back on the pile of unwrapped presents on her desk. How the hell was she meant to get her kids to read a book if Charles Dickens couldn't write a more attention-grabbing first paragraph? He would never have made it in television. It was a handsome volume, bound in red leather with Children's Classics A Christmas Carol, embossed in gold. Very posh, very educational. It would look well on the bookshelf, even if nobody ever read it. It was one of those last-minute stocking filler impulse buys that she forgot about almost immediately after she swiped her credit card. When the bills came in January, she could never remember why the hell she thought whatever she'd bought was so wonderful just a month earlier. She would give it to Tom. Tracy was too old and too cool for Children's Classics and Sam was too young for Dickens. Tom would probably glance at it once and chuck it onto his pile of presents. Still, it would look nice in Tom's bookcase, very nice indeed. Her sister Sue would be most impressed. 
She'd probably go out and buy the whole collection for the nursery she was decorating. Her baby was only three months old and Sue was already looking around for Suzuki violin cases. Carol Edwards' desk, said Carol, picking up the phone on the first ring. Well, hello, Carol's desk. May I speak to my sister? Very funny, said Carol. It's useful for bores I don't want to talk to. I can pretend to be my secretary and say that I'm out. Are you insinuating that you don't want to talk to moi? Give me a break. I've had a tough day. Grabbing her notepad, Carol started crossing out names from her Christmas list. I just wanted to tell you that I finally tracked down that wallpaper border for the nursery, the one with the teddy bears and the butterflies. I'm overjoyed for you. Best news I've heard all day, said Carol, still ticking off her list. She didn't have anything for John. Husbands and fathers were impossible. Maybe another book? The baby was a bit colicky last night. She seems fine now. She's finally sleeping. I expect it's not anything serious, Sue said, ignoring Carol's snub. Are you all set for Christmas? Don't ask. Carol glanced down the page. I still have a news roundup for the year for broadcast on the 26th. I have to find a replacement for Louis, our cameraman, because he's taking a week to work on his tan. I have to file my expenses for December and badger accounts to pay up before the end of the month so I'm not completely wiped out when my credit card bill lands in January. I need to call the dentist and make an appointment for Tom, bribe Tom to go, and find a way to get him there. Oh yeah, which reminds me, Carol scribbled a new line on her list. I still need to arrange transportation for Tracy to ski camp and send in a cheque, though we can't really afford it in the first place, not to mention defrost a turkey and make men's pies. God, I hate Christmas. Oh, you don't mean that, laughed Sue. Everybody loves Christmas. Well, I don't, snapped Carol. It's just an excuse for spending more money while we all pretend to be filled with festive spirit. I don't have time to be festive. Can you hold? I have another call. Hello, Carol Edwards' desk. Carol, it's John, said a crackling voice. The line crackled and hissed. Where are you? You sound like you're in Siberia. I thought you'd be home by now. You were meant to get in this morning. My flight was cancelled. I'm stuck in transit. I'm trying to get a flight out tonight. That's just great, John. You promised you'd make it home today. Thank you very much. It's not my fault. You could have left yesterday. You always leave it to the last minute. Don't you think you were calling it a little tight? Carol, let's not fight now. Wait till I get home. There's a flight that'll get me in at 6am. Well, I'm not picking you up. Fine, I'll take a taxi. That'll cost a fortune. You might not have noticed, but it's Christmas. What? 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 Nothing. I've got to go, said Carol. She stabbed the keypad, cutting the line without saying goodbye. Read the rest of A Carol's Christmas at www.corkcitylibraries.ie. Cork Christmas Memories by Michael Lenahan. At this time of the year, I am transported back to Christmases of years ago. These were indeed special, and as time goes by, many more memories are created. Back then it was magical, as certain memories are stored by the senses, such as Christmas lighting and sounds, but particularly the aromas. That festive fragrance, such as spiced beef, comes into its own this time of year. Cinnamon, nutmeg, Christmassy spices create that enthralling magical mix that only happens in the exquisite month of December. The magical ingredients consisted of suet for the pudding, treacle, golden syrup, marzipan and whiskey for the Christmas cake. These were just a few of the enchanting elements of those times. Just on their own the ingredients were distinctive but it was the measuring and mixing 
that brought forth the festive experience. The alchemy of turning this somewhat benign mixture, consisting of a cupful of raisins or sultanas, a handful of cherries and mixed peel, a copious amount of whiskey, a pinch of salt, eggs cracked into a bowl, yet all lovingly whisked and mixed into a perfect gooey mass. The cake tins were rubbed with margarine or butter and lined with greaseproof paper, which was cut to perfection. The mix was then carefully dolloped into the cake tin and as it reached the desired level was placed into the preheated gas oven. The process had begun and with each passing minute and increase in temperature the room became infused with a delicate spicy seasonal fragrance. Dire warnings were issued by the cook not to make any loud noise as the cake could flop and disaster ensue. The minutes turned to hours as the Christmas cake neared perfection. Finally, it would be removed from the oven amidst much aplomb and perched in pride of place for the cooling period. Madeira and cherry cakes were ideal sampling mixtures as the wooden spoon licking ritual took place. Somehow, this sampling belied the finished product of the bursting open crusty cake. Later, the cake cutting ritual was performed with a slow manual dexterity as the sharp knife sliced through the Christmas trophies. At last the taste, as each crumb ignited our taste buds. We really knew then that Christmas had finally arrived. The build-up to Christmas was extraordinary. It was like a slow-burning fuse, and boy, when it exploded on Christmas Day, it was like a pyrotechnic display. As children, we were very concerned that our chimney was swept, as we wanted to leave a good impression, not a sooty one, on Santa. The weeks before, Cork City was prepared little by little as shop windows and displays became bedecked with seasonal goodies. The erection of the Christmas lights in the city was the start of the great illumination, and the star-shaped lights were a particular delight as they dangled overhead. For children, toys such as train sets, dinky cars, dolls and the latest mechanised wonders of the day were certainly in order. Promotional Santa images appeared to be everywhere. One song encapsulated the shopping frenzy, Downtown by Petula Clark. The lights are much brighter there. You can forget all your troubles, forget all your cares and go downtown. The two main shops to gush over were the Munster Arcade and Cashes, who employed the best window dressers in the city. Both department stores used their vast window frontage to entice customers with their special Christmas displays. Santa Claus was never far away and he was actively employed to tempt young children and parents to part with their hard-earned cash. Jays of Princess Street and Kilgrew's North Main Street had great Santas, but some years later the Cork Iron and Hardware decided to embrace the bearded wonder and they had one of the best Santas in the city. This Santa was a little mischievous and thirsty to boot, so his little elves went to the local pub to procure pint bottles of Murphy's to keep that magical twinkle in his eyes. The invitation to see Santy soon overcame any parents dithering, and to visit his magic cavern, as a crying, pleading child was a formidable ox- obstacle to saying no. The journey upstairs was completed in the electric lift which was the precursor to meeting the main man himself. It was a little like going to confession backwards, but this time you were going to list all the good deeds that you had accomplished throughout the year. This good conduct was usually embellished, thanks to the figment of a fertile imagination, 
which hopefully, hopefully gave the required result of an even larger present. Most parents, and indeed their children, gauge the quality of Santa by the superiority of the presents received. This would dictate the next year's Santa destination. If Johnny droned on with a list as long as your arm, a signal in the form of a loud cough <coughs> or splutter was usually enough to terminate the wish list. Nostalgia manifests itself in different forms. One variety is when the really younger, innocent surface, memories surface. The custom of the youngest person in the house lighting the Christmas candle the night before was more than a spiritual ceremony. Through the mumbled prayer, thoughts drifted not towards the man above, but more towards the person who was about to arrive via the chimney. A lovely feature of this little ceremony was the placing of the lit candle on the window board to help guide strangers in the dark. The memory of the enchantment of going to bed the night before Christmas still lingers. Praying that you would not wake up and disturb Mr. Claus or his reindeers and receive the customary bag of coal. The magical excitement of subsequently waking up and discovering your presence were under the tree. Each carefully wrapped present was ripped open with all one strength. It was very rare that disappointment reared this ugly head as Santa usually got it right and happiness prevailed. Before the Christmas dinner, any Christmas sweets or biscuits that became available were usually hovered up. The rich aroma of the Christmas dinner wafting from the kitchen seemed to permeate through the house as it became more and more concentrated prior to the moment of serving. One year in particular, an organic turkey was delivered to our house. Well, really, it was not just organic, but totally alive, complete with all his feathers. Just what us young children needed, a Christmas pet with a capital P. Everything was going swimmingly as we began to bond with our newly named Matilda the turkey. Feeding time consisted of a handful of Kellogg's cornflakes, complete with our imitation turkey noises. But unfortunately, our joy was about to turn to sorrow as our pet was to be transformed into the main course. The Arab Bullock executioner was due to arrive and dispatched our beloved turkey. Uncle John duly arrived with his killing implement in the form of a rather innocuous looking timber brush handle. Unfortunately for the turkey, the bold Uncle John had little or no training in the art or refinement of exterminating turkeys. The broom handle was duly placed on the unfortunate turkey's neck and both of John's feet were placed each end of the broom handle. The executioner having taken a deep breath, he pulled the poor turkey's neck for what he was worth. Luckily for us youngsters, we did not witness this cruel act. Many years later, I was informed by the only witness, my father Dennis, that even though we lived in Blarney Street, the turkey's neck was stretched so much that it reached Sunday as well before the board expired. As a mark of protest, we duly refused to partake in eating our short-lived Christmas pet. We had unexpectedly become vegetarians for the day. At this festive time of the year, a visit to that once charming place, the Colquay, became a very special treat. The dealers and traders extolled the virtues of their merchandise. Second-hand clothes, in particular, were flung about as eager would-be purchasers searched for bargains. Yes, indeed, the Colquay was suddenly transformed at Christmas time. It seemed that the cold cave was suddenly engulfed with acres of Christmas trees and red-buried holly seemed to gleam from this green tree-landscaped 
background. Buying a tree was akin to doing battle with an experienced gladiator. The haggle would begin, both sides having made a mental note of their final optimal price. In this verbal encounter, eyeball to eyeball, no quarter was given as raised voices were in the pitched battle for the so-called bargain Christmas tree. Of course, the more trees that were to be purchased would strengthen your bargaining hand. Having neared the rock-bottom price, the seller was induced into throwing in a free bunch of holly. This usually put a spanner into the works, as the holly was to be the seller's game-changer. Having almost negotiated the transaction, the seller would suddenly produce a fine bunch of holly asking an extortionate price. The final haggle would continue with the words, Sir, would you have me in the poorhouse? A deal would be finally struck, only to discover that when you arrived home, that the fine newspaper-wrapped bunch of holly had suddenly transformed itself into a burialless bunch of wilting green leaves. What harm, there would always be next Christmas for own two. If you returned the next year to a different dealer, you might as well hang your head in shame, as this would be tantamount to a sign of surrender. It was widely believed that these hardy traders had memories like elephants and could spot an easy target a mile away. And so to Christmas present, so different now, but still a precious time of the year. Top 10 Christmas Songs from Freegal by Conor McHale Normally this time of year, as the festive season approaches, the staff of the Rory Gallagher Music Library would be wheeling out the trolley packed with all the Christmas music for our patrons to borrow. However, the City Library is phone and collect only due to refurbishment. Did you know there is an alternative? You can access a great variety of music, Christmas music, by streaming and downloading all the festive hits on the Freegal app. Freegal is a music streaming app that is free with your library membership. You have access to millions of tracks in all genres from the Sony Music Catalogue. You have access to unlimited streaming, plus you can download and keep up to five tracks a week. You can also create playlists in the My Music section, so you can stream your favourite Christmas tunes and shuffle them in any random order. Here are a few to get the party started. Dean Martin, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Written by Sammy Khan, who wrote it in California during a heatwave. Naturally, this is a festive favourite covered by many singers, from Frank Sinatra to Michael Bublé. Dean Martin's sublime, laid-back vocals make this version stand out. Miley Cyrus and Mark Ronson, featuring Sean Ono Lennon, Happy Christmas War Is Over. 2020 marks 40 years since the death of John Lennon, so it is fitting his son Sean features on this version of his Christmas single. London Fox Children's Choir, Walking in the Air. A well-known Christmas song from The Snowman, this is given a choral treatment by the London Fox Children's Choir, who also perform arrangements of many well-known Christmas carols, such as Deck the Halls and Away in a Manger. Nat King Cole, The Christmas Song. Of the many Yuletide songs recorded by Nat King Cole, this is a standout song written by Mel Torme and Robert Wells. Although there are many versions by Perry Como and Frank Sinatra, Cole's rendition remains a most popular favourite. The Ronettes Sleigh Ride Produced by Phil Spector at the heights of his Wall of Sound period in the mid-60s, check out the Now That's What I Call Christmas compilation for this and many other favourites. Elvis Presley, Blue Christmas 
This was recorded in 1957 at the height of Elvis's rock and roll fame. He also recorded a version with the country singer Martina McBride for his 68 comeback special. All of these songs appear on various compilations, thus leading you onto many other Christmas favourites. Note, whole albums can be saved onto your Christmas playlist instead of just picking random songs. To listen to the playlist, visit our website, corkcitylibraries.ie, for the link. Happy listening! Scarlet Evergreen by Ed Cashman A smartwatch glance for the step count, but see, globes of scarlet, berry clusters on the holly tree. A smartphone pick to share these scarlet greetings before they vanish in the beak of the missile thrush on this November of the islanded, missing the nearness of you. That's all for this episode, and indeed for 2020. Music is by Christy Toomey from his album Midnight on the Water. On behalf of your library staff, I would like to wish you a warm, safe and peaceful Christmas. Nalik Hanna agus Avilian Fui Vasha Dívgolair. Sláin.